Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. It's all about educating yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit your daily life. Not to mention, beginning now, starting I think yesterday, actually, uh, you can get 15% off your online order. Go to abotanicalcompany.com, order online, use the promo code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, and uh, you get 15% off your order at abotanicalcompany.com. So I'm really excited about that. And, and again, I'm a customer. I, I love these guys, and they do great things, not only for the community around them, but they are, they are, in fact, dedicated to helping you live a better life. So Artisan Botanicals, Midwest City, 15% off with the promo code ColbyShow at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, huge show, all football, as uh, it's a big week. Obviously, National Signing Day today, we have... Uh, conference championships on Saturday. The the schedule Saturday is going to be outstanding. College football playoff ranking announced last night. We've got some uh, some big takes on what the playoff committee gave us last night. What to expect on Saturday. The path for Oklahoma to get into the college football playoff. And look, I think when it's all said and done, and, and you start to look at what's left on Saturday, I don't think Oklahoma needs as much as maybe we all kind of thought they did uh, to happen to to maybe get into that number four spot. So we're going to discuss all of that, the committee and and how they've ranked these teams and just all of the crazy scenarios that could take place on Saturday with the conference championship matchups. Not to mention Colin Kennedy from 24-7 Sports, OUinsider.com, going to fill us in on the Oklahoma recruiting class and National Signing Day, what to expect from these guys as they uh, start their careers at the University of Oklahoma. So Again, big show. My normal guest, Aaron Davis, going to join me in just a few minutes, and we'll talk all about the college football playoff and all that good stuff. But first, it's Colin Kennedy with 24-7 Sports, OUinsider.com, talking Oklahoma football and National Signing Day. It is National Signing Day, and my guest from OUinsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, is Colin Kennedy covering the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Colin, first of all, I, I'm sure this recruiting period has been unlike anything you've ever experienced. Uh, I was talking to Robert Allen yesterday about you know, how long he's been re- uh, covering recruiting and just how crazy it is with no visits and, and just the whole you know, gambit of things as far as this, uh, this thing has gone. But what's your experience been like following recruiting throughout COVID and, and everything that's gone into this? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind to say the least. Obviously, you expect a lot more opportunities to evaluate these guys in person. You get a lot more opportunities typically to connect with them, discuss with them on a personal level. But right now, with so many things limited, it's really hard to continue to build on those relationships and really try and get a sense of where things are going. I think a lot of recruiting reporters have done a great job this cycle of trying to adapt to the times. And as a result, I think you've seen some of the best recruiting coverage that recruiting has ever seen, to be honest with you, because again, it's just so hard to do what we we normally do as recruiting reporters right now. But still, I mean, you've seen consistent updates and a great sense of the timeline moving forward. And so, yeah, man, this has been an absolute roller coaster and it's not stopping anytime soon because we still have got a month or two left of this thing. And so I'm excited to see how it all pans out. And I'm sure we'll be looking on back on this for a long time. No doubt. You know, I was I was talking, recruiting rankings matter regardless of what anybody says. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can get you hired or fired. Uh, but when you have good and bad recruiting classes, like this year specifically, like I don't know if you get a pass for a bad class because of all of the, you know, like you mentioned, not being able to, to see guys in person. At the same time, 
it almost makes you like have to be by default sharper at what you do. And, and maybe you're analyzing tape in a different way than you ever have before. So it's, it's kind of that double-edged sword. Yeah, the scouting departments for various collegiate programs are really going to be tested in 2021. And on top of that, it's really going to be about player development and relationships because typically, especially if you're an in-state program, for instance, you're able to just drive down the road and see some of your top targets. Well, right now, I mean, if you're Texas A&M, for example, driving down the road and seeing a guy in Houston is just not possible right now. So it really comes down to, okay, number one, are you truly able to identify talent and determine whether or not they fit your scheme and system number two can you utilize your relationships to really get a sense of who the kid is on and off the field and the number three what we're going to find out moving forward is are you able to get that guy on campus and make him the player that you want him to be so again it's been really hard for college programs and college coaches like you mentioned to structure classes that they want but bottom line here is we're all dealing with tough times in 2020 so moving forward into 2021 and beyond it's going to be, can you make the silver lining out of this cycle and build a foundation for your program that leads to future success? And we're going to find out here pretty soon. I feel like so often we hear the transfer portal brought up and, and it's like, well, he just didn't fit well here. Like his personality didn't fit with our program. Like that could be a big thing over the next couple of years with this class specifically. Yeah, the transfer portal is already popping, man. Yeah. And it's not going to stop anytime soon because like – Again, college programs don't really know the guy that they're getting right now. And I think in about a year or two, these programs or players are going to find out, oh, this may not be the person that I wanted or the place I want to be. And next thing you know, you're kind of stuck in no man's land. And at the end of the day, there are only so many scholarships to go around. You know what I'm saying? Right. So here in the next few years, the transfer portal is going to be one of, if not the most important factors when it comes to recruiting because, okay, you can get your your typical 15 to 25 guys on the on the high school scene. But now moving forward, there are going to be so many free agents, if you will, because of this cycle, it's going to come down to, okay, are guys going to be able to find that second fit? Because we don't really know if that first fit right now is the right fit for them. So, man, it's going to be really interesting to see how that impacts the recruiting scene because, again, the aftermath of this cycle is going to be felt for very, very many years to come. And so, uh, you've seen a lot of big name guys enter the transfer portal this cycle and it's not going to stop and collegiate programs are going to have to kind of feed off of that and determine how they want to attack it. Well, tell me about this Oklahoma recruiting class. Obviously, Lincoln Riley, once again, as far as the ranking goes, uh, does a phenomenal job and, and continues to to just hit home runs, I think, as far as the recruiting world goes. But what are your impressions of what he's been able to do in this cycle? Yeah, obviously, this is kind of a Lincoln-Riley-Taylor class. You get the number one quarterback in the country, even after you got the other quarterback that you wanted who decommitted in Brock Vandegrift. Caleb Williams is obviously the headliner. And then numerous star receiver commits, Colby, in this class are going to be high-impact guys in the coming years. But I think really the storyline for me about this 2021 group is the defensive line guys that Oklahoma's bringing in. This is a group that has the chance to really impact early on in their various careers. It's a group that has a ton of versatility, a, a whole lot of guys who are built to play in the near future at the collegiate level. And I don't know that Oklahoma's necessarily always landed those kind of guys, but Alice Grinch, his staff is really starting to leave its mark on the recruiting trail. And you're seeing that pay off. Obviously what Oklahoma's accomplished on the field statistically from a defensive perspective is now being recognized across the country. So you're getting guys like Ethan Downs, who's an in-state guy who could really play defensive end or maybe even some inside guys 
But you're also getting guys like Kelvin Gilliam, who out in Virginia is another dude who could slide all over the defensive front. And he was a big get for them over the summer. So I think that when you look at this class overall, yes, there are big name offensive players. That's to be expected with Lincoln Riley and his staff. But Alex Grinch was able to hold up his end of the bargain. And now OU's bringing in a true star-studded group that ranks towards the top in terms of average ranking per commit in the country. Because of the the eligibility waiver and and just the way all of that's going to play going into next year, it's probably a little bit more difficult to forecast what the positions of need are going to be for everybody, you know, because you don't know really what's going to happen with the guys currently on the roster versus what would maybe happen in a normal season. But, I mean, doing the best you can educated call, if you will, like what were the positions that you felt like they really had to address with this class? Yeah, offensive line, defensive backs, probably some linebackers. I mean, you look at the the dudes coming back, potentially, you mentioned it. There are a lot of players who could potentially get that extra year and capitalize on it. Trey Brown comes to a, for instance, he's a guy who's a senior, obviously, this year, but I could easily see him considering to come back. Maybe a guy like Creed Humphrey, who, again, has that option now to, okay, do I want to stay or do I want to go after those NFL draft hopes that I've had for so long? But again, I mean, you've seen some transfers hit. You've seen guys not necessarily fit in. And so when you look at this class, I think, number one, they really had to address the defensive backfield, continue to add depth as Alex Grinch and Roy Manning try and shift their focus and structure the defensive backfield the way that they want to. And I think that's been accomplished to a degree. There's still some guys out there that I think Oklahoma's going to go after. And then on the offensive offensive line side of things, I think, again, there are a lot of dudes who could come back up front. You could even maybe see a bunch of the, the, the starting five return for 2021. But at the same time, offensive line is all about depth and being prepared for the worst. And getting a lot of young talent in for Bill Bedenboe was a priority in this cycle. They, they've hit on a couple. They've missed on a few. There are still guys left on the board. But I, I do think that with what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have been able to accomplish so far, I think a lot of those needs have been addressed. All right, so this is kind of a two-part question. A, the standouts in your mind for this class, and, and B, of those standouts, because we understand, obviously, especially depending on position, not every guy is going to have the opportunity to play immediately. So, the first part of the question is, who in this class do you expect to be a standout or maybe have really high expectations for? But B, which of those guys do you think gets that opportunity maybe sooner than the others? Yeah, I would lead off with a guy like Billy Bowman. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Oklahoma has recruited him essentially saying, we're going to find a way to get you on the field. And rightfully so. I mean, this guy does literally everything for Denton Ryan. I've been at games where he has scored defensively, offensively, and in the special teams game, impact player in all three facets. And I think what's fascinating about him is he's a guy who said, look, I don't really care what I do. At the end of the day, I just want to see the field. And I think that's what really led him away from Texas and into Oklahoma. Obviously, there were a lot of relationships built into that, but he's a guy who's expecting to eventually play on the offensive side of the ball. But I really do believe that, number one, he's going to be able to step in on the defensive side and find a way to impact that side of things. And number two, I mean, we always talk about it, and it gets so overlooked often. Young guys who impact the special teams game really become impact players later down in their career. And so Billy Bowman as a returner or even a guy on kick coverage, who knows? I I think Bowman is a guy who can do literally anything, and he's going to establish that and eventually utilize that at the collegiate level, I would assume, as a freshman. Some other guys that I really like, Clayton Smith, the, the pass rusher, 
out of Texas High and Texas Arcana. He is probably one of the best pure pass rushers in the entire country. He's just put up ridiculous statistics off the edge, and he's another guy who I could easily see sliding around and providing some versatility. Yes, he's probably an edge rusher, but I wouldn't put it past him to play some inside backer, outside backer, defensive end. I mean, this is a guy who plays offense for his high school, so he he's comfortable doing whatever you ask of him. Kelvin Gilliam is another one that comes to mind. Again, he can slide all over the defensive front. I also love his attitude. He's just a great young man, and I think he's going to come in and be eager to learn. And guys like that, for example, LaRon Stokes, maybe not prepared to play at the D1 level, but he was a guy who just accepted coaching and eventually worked his way onto the field, and obviously it paid off. I could easily see Kelvin Gilliam establishing himself in a similar manner. Probably some other ones that come to mind. I would say the, the JUCO defensive tackle Isaiah Coe is really interesting for me because, again, Oklahoma's really capitalized on those JUCO DTs this year. Perion Winfrey's been outstanding. Josh Ellison's really had some nice moments. And Isaiah Coe is a former teammate of Perion Winfrey. And so these guys are coming from a very good program at Iowa Western. I think Coe is a guy who he wasn't necessarily an early play playing time guy, but eventually he worked his way in and put up some really impressive statistics. Obviously, the JUCO season was canceled for him. But, again, I think he's got some really good momentum. And honestly, my last one that I would point out, and I think he's probably the most interesting of the group, Colby, Nathan Rollins Kaibonch. And I don't think anyone's talking about this guy enough because he has played a total of 10 high school football games in his entire career. He was a former collegiate basketball commit to Washington State as a six foot six, six foot seven power forward at 240 pounds. But his high school football coach came to him and said, hey, I don't know of a whole lot of guys with your skill set in basketball that can really make it to the NBA, but if you want to change your life, come over and play some high school ball. In 10 games, he had enough offers to go literally anywhere in the country, and now he's basically a clean slate. And so Oklahoma staff going to be able to bring him in as an early enrollee and really mold him into the player that they want him to be. And I've heard comparisons to like Julius Peppers thrown around Obviously, that's a high expectation, but it speaks to the level of talent and natural ability that Kaibonch brings. So he's a guy that I could easily see if Jamar Kane really shapes him stepping in and just being an athletic freak in year one. So yeah, I was about to ask: Is he? So does that mean he's a defensive player, or is he like Antonio Gates type of of like tight end basketball player guy, or or what? What's the deal with him? Yeah, the plan's going to be defensive end. He He's a big body. And yeah, you, you bring up a great point, too, is a lot of those basketball guys typically are tight ends, yeah. right? Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, Jimmy Graham. But Rollins Kaibonge is a guy that, uh, again, he's got that power forward ability, but also he just has great hands, and I think he's very fluid. And so it really feeds well into the edge rush. Again, it's going to be coming down to can he add more weight onto that frame? I think his goal right now is to get it to about 290 pounds. We'll see if he can accomplish that, but again, the goal is for him to play defensive line, and Jamar Cain was huge in getting him to commit to Oklahoma without even seeing what Oklahoma's campus had to offer. And so once he arrives as an early enrollee, like I said, there's a real opportunity for him to contribute on the defensive front very early. We've been doing this for over 10 minutes and haven't even mentioned Caleb Williams yet. So uh, I think Oklahoma's <laughs> doing pretty well if that's the case. But uh, look, if Lincoln Riley gives a quarterback an offer, I just assume the guy is a future Heisman Trophy candidate. But how does how does he compare for you as far as the guys that Oklahoma has had? I'll tell you what, man. Caleb is a guy who I was really fortunate enough to get a, a chance to know, and I did his commitment shoot for CBS Sports HQ out in Washington, D.C., and when I was out there, I really got a sense of what this guy is like away from the lights, right? And 
The saying no man is an island truly applies to Caleb Williams. This dude puts in relentless effort. And if you're going to be the number one quarterback in the country, not only do you have to have that talent, but you have to have those intangibles that we talk about so often. And he truly has a work ethic and a mindset that separates himself from his peers. But that's instilled in him through the people around him. And, and what Caleb is now is because of so much effort that's been put in by him and those people that have put in so much time to help him reach who he is. And so when you talk about Caleb, just the development that he's already gone through, not only in his own right, but through the work of others, has shaped him into a guy that I really do compare to a guy like Kyler Murray. I mean, I'm I'm someone who came up in the Texas high school football ranks. I, I watched Kyler firsthand, and I was on those sidelines as Kyler Murray was dominating the, the most difficult district in high school football. But when you try and compare skill sets, I, I think Williams really gets up there. I mean, natural mobility, pure arm talent. And again, that that mindset of always wanting to win no matter what he's doing. Caleb's probably a little bit more of an outgoing guy, sure. And that's what really paid off for Oklahoma in the long run. But if you're really trying to compare him to what Oklahoma's seen in the past, Kyler Murray comes to mind. 24-7 Sports, our, our national editor and, and writers have compared him to Russell Wilson, which I find is a very intriguing comparison. But again, this is all kind of context that makes it very interesting for what he's going to be able to to bring to the table in Norman. And I just think he's he's Caleb Williams, man. He's a man of his own. He's established that name. And I'm excited to see what he can build once he arrives at Oklahoma. I, Spencer Rattler, I, I think, Sp is going to be on the short list for the Heisman Trophy next season. And and look, if, if you're asking me right now to remove the, the top quarterbacks from college football that I expect to be at the next level next season, I think when you naturally move guys up that list, Spencer Rattler ends up at the, you know, the top portion of that list. That said, I've heard a lot of people say that it's not a guarantee he's even the starting quarterback next year. Do you think Caleb Williams is, is good enough right now or at least going into next year to compete for that job, or is it a year maybe of development? Absolutely. I think what's really going to help him too is obviously he's going to be enrolling early and he's going to have that additional time to, to learn the system, the playbook, and build the relationships with the teammates around him. And that was big for him going into this this year. He wanted to have that opportunity to get to know the guys in the locker room because he feels like chemistry is what really establishes you as a starting quarterback. My big thing here, though, Colby, is I, I do think that Lincoln Riley plays a little bit of loyalty to his guys. And I don't blame him. You know, you recruit these guys for so long. They're so heralded. And eventually you get them on campus. You don't want to do them wrong at the end of the day, especially if they're as talented as a guy like Spencer Rattler or a one Caleb Williams. And we know the plan moving forward is likely going to be Spencer Rattler next year. The hope would be then potentially for him to leave for the NFL and Caleb Williams get a redshirt year. And next thing you know, he's just as ready to step in as Rattler was. I think, again, Williams has every amount of talent to challenge Rattler for that starting role, but it will come down to whether or not Lincoln Riley wants to play the loyalty card for his guy. So we'll see what happens, man. I think it's going to be a battle, and I think, honestly, it's going to better Spencer Rattler's play going into that next year, and it'll probably benefit him in that NFL draft echelon. But Williams is going to be a freak, and I'm excited to see what happens when he takes over after Rattler. So this coming spring, when when Lincoln Riley tells us there's a quarterback competition and nothing's guaranteed, there is a legit chance, at least, that from a skill standpoint, the other guy has a chance. I mean, honestly, anytime he says that, I just don't believe anything. <laughs> right. I think we've all learned that anytime there's a quarterback competition, yeah. just don't take it at face value. So, again, Eileen Rattler is going to have that loyalty in his favor, but... Who knows, man? Williams is as talented as they come, and I think these two are really going to have fun going at each other. 
All right. Signing day surprises. Anything left for Oklahoma? Is this thing signed, sealed, delivered? Are they done? Is there another player they're maybe waiting on? Or was there any worry maybe coming into today on the other side of things that a guy maybe maybe flips on them? Because that's the that's the biggest worry, I think, when you get to this point is somebody you felt good about maybe, you know, getting that that cold feet type of scenario on signing day and, and going elsewhere. Yeah, so the big surprise has probably come and gone. Savion Bird has committed to Oklahoma, the star offensive tackle for Duncanville. He's a fascinating player, Colby, because I've seen him numerous occasions. And last year he was playing basically strictly defensive tackle for the Duncanville Panthers. The year before, though, he was a sophomore offensive tackle. And now this year he's gone from the starting left tackle to left guard. He's basically done a bunch. And he's a guy who had several ties to SMU. There were several rumors around his recruitment saying, okay, I think, yes, while Oklahoma was in great position throughout a majority of his process, the SMU ties may be just too much for the Sooners to overcome. Well, eventually, Savion Bird made his own decision and decided, hey, Oklahoma and Bill Biedenbow, that's who I need to be coached by and that's where I need to be. So that's probably the biggest get and the biggest event that Oklahoma was, w- was waiting for on the day. Outside of the like potential scares, I think getting Kelvin Gilliam signed is a really big deal because there was a little bit of a scare in this process that Notre Dame was going to challenge for him. The, the Fighting Irish coaches really tried to get him to flip, and it was a full-court press to try and get him to be in, in that stadium and in, in, in that program moving forward. But Kelvin Gilliam finally joining Oklahoma. Again, he hasn't been able to see campus, so there was a little bit of doubt there. I just think that's a huge get because he's a guy who I could easily see not only being an impact player, but a team captain caliber guy in the locker room. And then moving forward, there may not be a lot of surprises or any big names left on the board today, but there are definitely dates on the calendar to circle. Obviously, here in a little bit, we're going to see what happens with Bryce Foster. He's choosing basically between Oklahoma and Texas A&M. He's one of the highest rated interior offensive linemen that the cycles have seen in the wild. So that will be a highly anticipated announcement. I kind of lean Texas A&M there. We'll see what happens, though, once the pen has to be put to paper. And then moving forward, five-star running back Kamar Wheaton, he's going to be expected to announce on the 23rd of this month. I really like where Oklahoma stands for him. I think that the Sooners have done an outstanding job of recruiting him, and he is not an easy guy to get a hold of. So that really speaks to the testament of what the Sooner staff has been able to accomplish. And then the last one for me would really be Tristan Lee. On January 2nd, he was going to announce the All-American Bowl. It was canceled, but NBC is going to have a special announcement show on that day. He will announce, and it's been a up-and-down battle for him, truly a roller coaster, but the Sooners are in pretty good standing. So that's where things stand moving forward. Again, some, some guys they're waiting on. It may not come today, but there are events to look forward to. As far as in-state recruiting, and we'll kind of wrap up with this, um, You know, obviously understanding you can't populate your, your roster with Oklahoma kids completely and understanding Oklahoma obviously has a reach from coast to coast because of the brand. And you mentioned like Caleb Williams, for instance. Uh, but like, what is the focus on giving Oklahoma kids a chance? Cause obviously there are Oklahoma kids on the, on the roster. We have seen Oklahoma kids have success, not only at Oklahoma, but like Iowa state, for example, is there a, a growing focus on keeping kids in the state, in the state or like, how do they overall view that? Yeah. First of all, I think anyone who tries to perceive Oklahoma as a program that isn't necessarily worried about getting in-state kids is just not really aware of the current times. As Oklahoma's in-state talent continues to grow, 
obviously OU is going to try and get all those dudes. But with that prioritization comes others. And I think for me, as a guy who moved into the state a couple of years ago, what's been fascinating for me to kind of view as an outsider is, okay, yes, there's a ton of talent in state. And yes, Oklahoma is prioritizing every single one of them. But that doesn't mean that Oklahoma is going to get them all. Right. I mean, we saw Dax Hill go to the Big Ten, Josh Proctor go to the Big Ten. Some huge names in the Sooner State did not decide to join the Sooners. And there's a reason for that. Like as a Texas guy, I've seen, obviously, the University of Texas get some big names within the state or Texas A&M. But Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma have suddenly become really influencing presences within state borders. And it's not much that you can do at the end of the day if you're that in-state school, because there are other programs after your guys. That's just how recruiting is. So Oklahoma, again, is going to try and get all of those dudes within its state borders. And there are some really good ones. The class of 2022 specifically has some really talented young men. But with Oklahoma's pursuit will come others, like I mentioned. And so I think the Sooners will definitely try and clean up shop moving forward in the state. And they did a pretty good job of it in this cycle, if we're being honest. But there are still other teams trying to get in Sam Pittman at Arkansas. That's going to be a big name moving forward. Obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, things like that continue to try to infiltrate Oklahoma. And so the Sooners will continue to try and capitalize on in-state talent, and they're always going to prioritize it, but so will other programs. And that's why we see recruiting battles that we see. Have we had any crazy like Zoom announcements today? I mean, I know that people like to get creative with the way that they announce where they're going, but uh, in, in 2020, when all of this is done virtually, has anybody like gone super crazy with that whole thing? I haven't seen any yet. I mean, <laughs> you're right. Typically get a little bit adventurous. We either have the mom who's really upset that the kid right. made the decision to go to that school or someone's bringing out a Chucky doll. It's always weird, man. But I think 2020 has been so weird as it is. Probably just limit what we're doing on Zoom with these commitment details and go from there. I just think this is a really cool day, and I'm glad it's come for a lot of these young men. It's really rewarding to see a lot of the dudes that you followed through the process get to go to college for free and tell their families that, hey, we made it. And so I haven't seen anything too eventful, but again, these signings are eventful as it is. Colin, appreciate the time, man. I know you're busy. It's a it's a big day, obviously, for you doing what you do. So uh, thanks for taking time for me. Yeah, for sure, man. It was a lot of fun. Call me anytime. Hopefully we can grab about the Cowboys someday. Absolutely. We'll catch up again. Colin Kennedy with OUinsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Aaron Davis, what is going on on this snowy Wednesday? Not much. Just uh, got the window open right now. I'm enjoying the uh, the powder, so to speak, out the window. But uh, can't enjoy too much because, again, the college football playoff committee just annoys the hell out of me. So, Which I'm sure we'll get into, but I'm just salty waking up this morning. I, I didn't look at the rankings last night. I was, uh, I was doing some photography stuff until pretty late, so... I, uh, I didn't catch the rankings, and I woke up this morning, and I'm just just annoyed all the hell. So you've got the window open. The crisp, cool air of this wintry day in Oklahoma is not uh, is not chilling you out, huh? Okay, well, I don't have the window open. I got the blinds open. Oh, I guess okay. I okay. No, 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 no. I'm, uh, it's like, man, that's, that's kind of bold. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know me. I'm a baller. I like to have the window open and run the heater at, like, 72. <laughs> As crazy as that sounds, I've done that. So, I mean, it's not like uh, that's anything crazy. It's a nice balance, you know. Heater's on, you get too hot in the house. Yeah. No heater on, it's too cold. Go both what You have them both. That's perfect, comfortable uh, house right there. Yeah. 
Uh, so uh, National Signing Day isn't lifting your spirits at all? Uh, no. I'll be honest. Uh, National Signing Day. Look, we all know Lincoln Riley's going to get a bunch of high-powered five-star recruits. It's become the norm now. And uh, I don't know. I don't follow high school football. I don't follow the recruiting trail that much. So it's hard for me to get excited about some kids signing somewhere. Like, outside of, like, the few quarterbacks from that QB1 show on Netflix – I have no idea who any right. recruit is at any bubble. Was there ever a point that you followed recruiting? Because, like, I, in my, I guess the years after I got out of high school and and probably into my early twenties, I I still kind of like kept track somewhat of high school football. And you know, as time went on, I just I I was paying attention to so much other stuff that I didn't follow it. But like when I was growing up, obviously I was paying attention to who the best high school players were in, you know, the state and, and all of that, like that were my age. And I think that carried over for a, a certain period after I got out of high school. But I think as the years went on, it just kind of slowly went down and down and down to the point that I wasn't paying attention at all. I remember my senior year of high school following that class pretty close because it was uh, at least the quarterbacks because it was Garrett Gilbert, Matt Barkley and Russell Shepard were like oh, yeah. by far and away the top recruits. And Garrett Gilbert was an Austin kid. I, I I went to a few of his games at Lake Travis and like they were it Colby, I cannot describe to you the most how obnoxiously dominant that team was. Yeah. For them to be in Central Texas at like I think they were four A at the time. There was only five it went up to five A. I think they were four at the time. I watched Garrett Gilbert throw like three picks in a game and they won seventy to three. Oh in a playoff game. In good a state Lord. like semifinal game or quarterfinal game like it it was the most obnoxious thing watching Garrett Gilbert play so I was like pretty enamored with Garrett Gilbert and he was going to Texas was that Lake Travis or was that Westlake I I I can never remember which Austin school was which he Garrett Gilbert Baker Mayfield were Lake Travis Charlie Brewer was also uh not Charlie Brewer um the tech kid Michael Brewer is that what his name was he was yeah they're brothers actually yeah Charlie's yeah Charlie's Michael's younger brother at Baylor uh Michael started at tech and then I think he ended up at Virginia Tech, Virginia right? Tech, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Michael Brewer went there. I don't know if Charlie Brewer went to Lake Travis, but anyways. Uh, and then Westlake is the Nick Foles, Drew Brees, that, those guys. Which one did Baker go to? Lake Travis. Okay. Which yeah, one Baker did, uh, who's the other Austin quarterback? Oh, Ellinger. Which one did Ellinger go to? I, I want to say he went to Westlake. He okay. definitely didn't go to Lake Travis. I mean, between the two of them, there, there are like 10 pretty well-known, at least, college football quarterbacks. Yeah, the uh, common denominator is they are both in very upscale areas of Austin. <laughs> and, you know, Garrett Gilbert's dad being, like, a longtime NFL player, like, probably didn't hurt him uh, developing quarterback skills. And, yeah, they, the, the common denominator is they have money and they probably, you know, are going to camps since, like, they're three yeah. to play quarterback and all that stuff, so... Yeah, they're both pretty dominant high school teams, though. I remember, so the year I graduated high school, I remember uh, the the biggest, I don't, I don't know, like, as far as rankings go, but I remember, like, the biggest high school football player phenom in the state of Texas was Roy Williams, the Roy Williams that went to Texas, not the Oklahoma Roy Williams. Uh, but a lot of it was not, not just because he was a freak. I mean, he was, I, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating here, but I think he was, like, 
220 or something. Like he was a monster even in high school, but he went to one of the most well-known high schools in the state of Texas, Odessa Permian, which is the Friday night light school. So like Roy Williams, not only was this freak of nature in high school, but he went to Odessa. Um, Priest, Priest Holmes was an Odessa kid too, right? Was he? I'm not sure. Yeah. There was a running back that went to Texas it was an Odessa Permian kid. I, I want to say it was Priest Holmes, but I'm not 100. I this is like me Wikipediaing him like 10 years ago, and maybe this sticking in my memory. But yeah, Odessa Permian. The uh, God, what did, I forget. I even forget what they would say. What was the uh, what's their thing? Uh, mojo their phrase. Mojo. Yeah, yeah. 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 I read the Friday Night Lights book when I was in like third grade. Which is, oh, it's, to. it's totally not suitable for a third grader, but I remember like, you know, like everybody in, in my town is, is reading Friday Night Lights because that's just like what the town is, you know, it's like oil field and high school football. Like that's, it's all they yeah, have. It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Priest Holmes. He went to John Marshall High School. Yeah, I know, no, no. like I know Cedric Benson went to Midland Lee, which is like the arch rival of Odessa yeah. Permian. Maybe that's what I'm getting it confused with. But yeah, Roy Williams was like it, the year that I graduated high school. Like that was the dude. Like everybody in the state knew who he was. Like, a, because again, he was just a freak, a physical freak of nature. But B, because he played for, you know, the Friday Night Light School. I think people, you know, Roy Williams, like, I don't want to say people forget how good he was at Texas, but I kind of do feel like people forget how good he was at Texas. Like he, you know, he was a, was he a top, he was a top 10 pick for sure, uh, to Detroit. And like, you know, I I think he like had one or two, maybe one and a half, like productive seasons at, at Detroit. And then he never really did anything in Dallas, but I mean, he was, he was freaking good at Texas and they just, they they were, he, he didn't really play with Vince Young. He was pre Vince Young. So he was with like the Chris Sims offenses that were like, obviously that time period is known for, I think underperforming and just getting shellacked by the Sooners. Uh, but yeah, no, he was, he was really good. And, uh, you know, he got to the NFL. He had a great rookie year. Like as a Cowboy fan, when the Cowboys got him initially, I was really excited about it. And, he just really never did anything with Dallas, but I was I was pretty stoked. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when he was traded from Detroit to the Dallas Cowboys, I was on a flight to Las Vegas, and when I landed at the airport, I'm waiting on my baggage, and I look to my right, and there's this monster dude standing next to me, and he's wearing a Texas Longhorn hat, and I, I, I think he was wearing like a Dallas Cowboys shirt or something like that, and I'm like, who the hell is this? He looks really familiar. And so I just keep standing there and I'm like running through like the index in my mind of like who this person could be because it's obviously somebody famous. And then it hits me. It's the fucking Undertaker from (laughs) WWE who's a a massive like Dallas Cowboy and Texas Longhorn fan. And so finally I'm like, oh, it's the Undertaker. And, And I'm like, should I say something? And I'm like, oh, so you're a you're a Texas fan, huh? Or a Cowboys fan. Or I said something like that. And he goes, yeah. And he he actually goes. Did you just hear the news? Roy Williams was just traded to the Dallas Cowboys. So the Undertaker broke the Roy Williams trade to me at the airport in Las Vegas. That's awesome. He, uh, 
he apparently was uh, a big fan of Vegas, and uh, I, I had heard he had been doing like uh, he's done like a lot of press over the past like six months to a, like six months because he like retired or whatever. And uh, like everybody that talked to him like had a story about running into him at a casino in Vegas. <laughs> so you uh, you fall right in line with uh, yeah with everybody like just random sightings of the undertaker of Vegas. But yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a hell of a way to get that news. Yeah. Too bad. It, uh, you know, it didn't play it didn't, out. Yeah. Way. It didn't work out. The, the, the breaking news with the undertaker giving me that information at a Las Vegas airport was way more exciting than anything. Roy Williams actually did for the Dallas Cowboys. But, uh, yeah. It, the well, other funny thing is like, so after we get, nobody really, I, I think recognized him until we started like talking back and forth and then, you know, like most people are like zombies just standing at the baggage claim, like waiting on their bags. Like nobody's really mingling or interacting. Like everybody's just standing there because they just got off the flight. So like it's kind of a, a quiet type of setting. And so like as we're having this like conversation back and forth, I think people are like looking and, and then like all of a sudden people are starting to realize who this person is. So I kind of felt bad in a way because by the time like we got done talking and I get my bag and I'm walking away, like this crowd starts to form around him and... uh we, that, we weren't really at the point then, I think, where people were, like, taking photos yet with, like, phones. Right. Like, cell yeah, phone cameras been. weren't developed enough to, to make that a thing yet. So, but, you know, people are just surrounding him, probably asking for autographs or something like that. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it, the Lions uh, completely botched that trade, too, with their picks that Dallas gave up, which, I mean, a first third of six... This is a good haul, but uh, yeah, the the Lions turned that into Brandon Pettigrew, Derek Williams, and Aaron Brown. So you want to talk about a trade where everybody loses? That's uh, that's the epitome right there because those are terrible. Yikes! Yikes! I just pulled up the so I graduated high school in the year two thousand. So I just pulled up twenty four seven sports. Year 2000, top football recruits. And I'm going down this list. So DJ Williams was the top recruit in the country, linebacker who went to Miami, followed by Brock Berlin, who was a quarterback that uh, went to Florida. But I think he ended up somewhere else, if I remember right. I think he I think he may have ended up at Miami when it was all said that and done. That name is familiar. Charles Rogers, speaking of Detroit Lions wide receivers, Charles receivers. Rogers uh, was the number three player in the country. Okay, here's what's interesting. So I just kind of scrolled through this list really fast. So the so just comparing Texas and Oklahoma and where they were at that point, because this is this is the year. I mean, Oklahoma went on to win a national championship this year, but comparing Oklahoma and Texas at that point. So B.J. Johnson went to Texas. He's the number seven player in the country. Uh, Chance Mock. Texas at 17, Roy Williams, Texas at 18, going down the list, West Sims, OU at 31, Sloan Thomas, Texas at 35, Brock Edwards, Texas at 48, Adam Doran, Texas at 50, like Texas has like seven or eight, Steve Lee, Texas at 57. Like, I think I've read eight or nine Texas names, and Oklahoma's had one. It's changed, man. Yeah. Well, you hear Paul Feinbaum yesterday. Uh, it, I think this is actually a stupid claim, and I don't think he has any real 
verified like credibility or of his sources that uh, Tom Herman wanted the South Carolina job before Shane Beamer took it. Oh, which immediately I'm like, my initial thought is why that like, even if Herman is miserable at Texas, why would he go to South Carolina? Like who's itching to go to South Carolina? I mean, Shane Beamer makes sense because he's, you know, yeah. it's his first head coaching job and he's going to a power five school in the SEC. Right. But why would why would Tom Herman want to leave Texas? Even if he hates Texas, why would he leave and go to South Carolina? I, South Carolina, he, he, I think, is a Muschamp? tough gig. Like it's it's a good deal for Shane Beamer, obviously, but like for an established head coach, I don't think that's a good job opportunity because you're way down the pecking order of the SEC schools. Plus, no you're secondary in your own state to a school that's not even in your conference. Right. You you you're literally the best case scenario is maybe you win eight games every like five years. Yeah, that's a tough one. So, uh, the so, since you went through your uh, graduating class for top recruits, uh, my class, two thousand and nine, year I graduated high school. Look at they were uh, pretty stacked up top. Matt Barkley was the top recruit. Uh, Bryce Brown, who went to Tennessee, and I don't remember him doing much. Running back Russell Shepard, who was a quarterback in high school, well, ended up playing receiver at LSU. Bryce Brown ended who, up at Kansas State, didn't he? Uh, Eventually, I I want to say, or maybe maybe, maybe it remember. was his brother. Manti Teo was in that Trent Richardson, which uh, I love Trent Richardson because I love uh, I, I've out of boredom I have gone back and listened to some like old like NFL podcast from like a few years ago and just <laughs> listening to them talk about how bad Trent Richardson is. Uh, it just cracks me up. Um, yeah, Vontez Perfect was on there. Devon Kennard, Garrett Gilbert, Dre Kirkpatrick, Texas, uh, Mason Walt. Texas had two players in the top 16. Uh, OU's highest ranked recruit was Jamarcus McFarland. Oh, blast from the past. I'm seeing uh, Gabe Lynn, 33 for OU. Uh, Ron L. Lewis. I'm going to be honest. I have not heard of uh, these. Uh, I've heard of uh, the defensive tackle I just said. I Jam- uh, Jamarcus McFarland. Yeah, I've heard of McFarland. Uh, I'll be honest. I've not heard of uh, Ron L. Lewis, outside linebacker. Maybe he transferred. Do you remember yeah, him? Yeah, he, he okay. was like a, uh, I want to say, pretty high draft pick by Detroit. <laughs> that sounds right. It sounds right that Detroit would take somebody high in the draft and then... I want to say, like, maybe uh, third really round. Like, I think... I want to say it was the upper half of the draft. Like, when okay. I say high, I don't mean first round, but I mean, like... Okay. I think upper half, but I could be wrong. He was a uh, he was a guy that played... I, I may be confusing my former Sooners here, but I think he was a, like, eight-man football kid out of high school. Yeah, let's see. He went to... He would played in Eufaula, so could be. Yeah, I don't. I I I, I want to say I remember like hearing stories about him playing eight man and just completely dominating people in high school. He but, went to uh, Dewar High School. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's oh, eight yeah. man or not. Uh, let's see. Uh, Justin Chison, Chason, Chason, Justin Chason. Are uh, Tom Wart do anything for you? Those are also top I remember Tom Wart. I don't remember the other one. 
Uh, one thing I'm noticing, I'm seeing a lot of Tennessee on the top 100. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that that didn't work out for them. That Was was that Lane Kiffin? Uh, 2009. <sighs> he might have been in Oakland. Let me, let's see. I'm scrolling through your class, by the way. Uh, how about this... Uh, this kid down here at number 34, Stefan Gilmore, South Carolina. Ooh, nice. Just the NFL Wait. defensive player of the year. You, uh, we talked about South Carolina and just being a tough, like a tough grab, but like they've produced some like legitimate talent over the past decade. So, oh yeah, no, they've had some really good individual players, but players, yeah. they're just, they're, they're like right in the middle of, this recruiting hotbed where they are probably the least attractive school. That's the problem. Like it's, you're not going to lack any like talent around you. The problem is you have Clemson in your backyard, uh, or, or you may say that South Carolina is in Clemson's backyard. Uh, maybe the more appropriate way to say that, but I mean, you're competing against all three of the Florida schools. You're competing against Georgia. You're competing against Tennessee. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's just tough right there. So yeah, you go pro- you could probably go ahead and lump the Carolinas together. And you got Mac Brown at North Carolina right. now, which is going to be tough to recruit against. Like, because, I mean, they've immediately improved since he got there. But yeah, uh, they had like Jadavion Clowney and Alshon Jeffrey and Stefan Gilmore. Uh, what was the running back that broke his leg? Because he was like oh, a five star. Yeah. Um, um, Lattimore. Yeah. Marshawn Lattimore. No, that's it. No, that's Marshall the Lattimore that's the Saints the uh, DB. Um, DB yeah, Marcus Lattimore, maybe. I can't remember. Lane Kiffin, by the way, was at Tennessee in two thousand and nine. That was his only recruiting class. Okay, there you go. Uh, yes, Marcus. They were eight in the nation. He had a top ten recruiting yeah. class in one off season at Tennessee, and then left. I remember that well. Yeah. They still I, hate him in Tennessee. Who knows? Like, they have been so bad for the last like fifteen years. I wonder if Lane Kiffin would have stuck around and put together consistent top ten classes. What they could have done. I mean, I say that, but they still recruit well. Like, they still have good recruiting classes consistently, and they still suck every year. Yeah. Yeah, they, were they 10th are tenth in twenty twenty. They yeah. they're they're not on the same level. I think from a program standpoint, as like Michigan and Texas. They're they're probably one step down, but a lot like Michigan and Texas, like they are incredibly underperforming, like every year, compared to like college, what they like recruiting and just the overall expectation. College football desperately needs those like those down blue bloods to like get back because it's just there is no parity in college football right now, and like. I, it it bores me a little because it's the same like three teams every year and then throw in a random fourth team that's going to get in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about this college football playoff? Yeah, let's get, yeah. Okay. So um, I didn't watch the show last night, mostly because I didn't expect there was going to be a ton of movement. I mean, I expected Florida was going to drop because of their loss to LSU, but other than that, I just I just didn't expect that we were going to see much, you know. And then as far as Oklahoma is concerned, obviously Miami was a spot ahead of them. They were going to drop because they got shellacked by uh, North Carolina. But 
I mean, for the most part, I just expected those teams to move up a spot and Florida to drop somewhere, um, you know, between like seven and 10. So uh, I, I didn't hear any of Gary Barta's statements or any of the questions that were asked following the ranking, but it, it pretty much played out the way I thought it was going to. Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State remains at four, AM five, Iowa State jumps up a spot to number six with the Florida loss. Florida only drops a spot to number seven with their loss to LSU as they get ready to play Alabama. And basically, I think what the committee did there is say that Florida still has a chance to make the playoff if they are the SEC champion. Uh, Georgia at eight, Cincinnati nine, and Oklahoma at 10. So, okay, I, I got a couple of things here. Do you think that the Big Ten did it on their own, or do you think the committee called the Big Ten office and begged them to make an amendment to their rules for qualifying for the Big Ten championship game to let Ohio State in? Who Do you think that the Big Ten was just like, we need Ohio State in here to win this conference because we cannot have a situation where Indiana or Northwestern win? Or do you think the committee was like, please, for the love of God, like we need to get Ohio State in? We're going to put Ohio State in anyway. So just change the rules so that we don't get bitched at for the next month. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the last statement you, you said there with Ohio State was going to get in anyway kind of tells you. I, I don't think the committee was going to put, I don't think the committee called them. I think the Big Ten just wanted to ensure that was the case and not risk potentially the committee leaving them out on the final week of the season. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And the second thing, I have a uh, I have a Gary Barta quote for you. Okay. Uh, so somebody asked him on the uh, college football playoff conference call last night, asked him, what about Iowa State's resume is better than Coastal Carolina's? And here's his answer. Well, the body of work as it pertains to, to uh, Iowa State, they did lose two games, but they also beat number 10 Oklahoma and they beat number 20 Texas. When you watch the games, their defense has gotten better and better every week, and they had the leading rusher in the country. I didn't double-check that this week because they were idle, but one of the best runners in the country for sure is Brees Hall. Then look at Coastal Carolina. They're undefeated. They're undefeated, and they're having a terrific year. They have two wins against top 20 teams, as does Iowa State, except, but Iowa State has two losses. BYU, I said last week, that BYU game was one of the most exciting college football games of the season. They played a game this past week against an under 500 Troy team, and it took them until the last 30. They were behind, and I'm sure you watched that game. They were behind with 35 seconds left, and uh, they made a great touchdown pass, blah, blah, blah. So uh, his argument for Iowa State being significantly higher than Coastal Carolina is they got two top 20 wins, but he also acknowledges that Coastal Carolina has two top 20 wins. So, what I mean... You're not really surprised by this, right? No, it's just like, I think it just continues to show that they have no idea what they're doing. They do have an idea what they're doing. This is, I argue this all the time. They know exactly what they're doing. And well, they're just trying to get the blue bloods in there. Well, yeah, this like every year we go through this whole charade of people being outraged by group of five teams, not getting any respect. And like every year we have to like discuss this. This is not a group of five playoff. Like, bottom line, it's just not. So, like, just understand that. And the committee doesn't value group of five schedules. And they're never going to. Just say it. Just say that, like... Yeah. 
we don't we don't put the same way. Even though Coastal Carolina has two top twenty wins, as does Iowa State, we do not value the opponents that they beat as highly as we value the teams that Iowa State beat, yeah. which are Texas and Oklahoma, which are two blue blood programs where the logos carry a lot of weight, and we value that a lot more. And that I mean, they showed that Iowa State's up to six. Yeah. By the way, how the hell is why is Florida only seven? Why did Florida Florida lost to a bad LSU team and they dropped one spot? Yeah, well, because they're because they're playing in the SEC championship this week, and if they, and they beat Alabama, they're yeah, gonna yeah. get in. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think the committee wanted to like they say that they're not putting they're not like thinking ahead, and all of these these rankings are based on what has happened to this point without any any thought into the future. But Alab- but Florida only dropping one spot kind of shows that there's no way that you're not thinking about what's coming ahead because otherwise Florida probably drops out of the top 10. Essentially, okay, so at this point, a, there's no way A&M gets in. A&M's out. I, th- I have a hard time seeing A&M get in, yes. If, like you said, if Florida wins against Alabama, they're in. Alabama's still going to get in. Yes. So A&M's done. They're, unless Ohio State loses, Clemson loses. But even, the, okay, so if Clemson and Ohio State lose... Then Iowa, the winner of the Big Twelve is getting. I think it. the Big Twelve champion jumps A and M in the next ranking. I yeah, I would think so too. I mean, if Iowa State beats Oklahoma, absolutely. Like there's nothing keeping Iowa State from jumping A and M if they beat Oklahoma twice this year. Well, and if Oklahoma wins, the argument they're, for them is too. they've won seven in a row. They just beat the committee's number seven team. They're a conference champion. Like what? What the case for A and M right now? The only thing positive you can say about A and M is that they lost to the number one team in the country. Like the Florida win, especially after Florida loses to LSU a week ago, is not impressive. When you watch A and M play, like the I've watched them play their last three games, and they're just kind of blah. Like they're fine. Like they're not great. Uh, they they don't really impress you. And and again, when you go back to the loss, it's not like it was a great game where it was back and forth and, and they just kind of got the short end. They were completely dominated by Alabama. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between Texas A&M and Indiana right now? There's not why much. Is it, why is Indiana five, six spots behind A&M? Because their name is Indiana. Exactly. Yeah. Like A&M doesn't have the same logo recognition as Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson. Well, it's because they don't win. But right, but they, they certainly have more name there. recognition than Indiana. Right. I mean, as far as the fan base goes, I'll throw A&M up there in like the top 10 or top 15 programs. In oh, the for sure. Like they have a lot of, their fan base is big. Huge fan base. But they just don't win, so they don't have like, the the logo doesn't carry the same like prestige and weight. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Ohio, I, I cannot see a scenario where Ohio State loses to Northwestern. I think I I don't think Florida is going to be Alabama. Florida, man, that that LSU game. I think that they kind of. I think Alabama is going to score like seventy. Yeah, I was I was very disappointed in the in that Florida's performance at LSU because I really I did I really wanted them to win because I it just made it way more interesting to have a one loss Florida team going into that SEC championship game. Florida's defense is I mean, ooh, I know Kyle like they're going to score points on Alabama. I I don't think. Like I'm, I'm not sitting like here thinking like it's going to be seventy really? to three or anything. Yeah. 
because Kyle Trask is good. They have skill position players. Kyle Pitts is a problem. Uh, Kadarius Toney is is like a Percy Harvin 2.0 kind of guy. Like, you get him the ball in space, and he's he's really dangerous. So they're going to score some points, but their defense is so bad, and Alabama might have the best offense in college football. So I, I just think Bama's going to roll. Man, we do you remember the good old days when, like, Nick Saban, like, always just kind of had, like, an okay quarterback. Like, they had a good quarterback, <laughs> but, like, it wasn't the guy that – he wasn't the guy that was going to beat you. It was everybody else around him that was going to beat you. Yeah. And now we've reached the point where Nick's getting in, like, elite quarterbacks Yeah. to put around those other guys. It's just – I mean, they won gross. national championships with Greg McElroy and Jacob Coker. Yeah. I would say this. I, I bet you A.J. McCarron in – an offense like they're running today would be really good. I mean, he was, I mean, AJ McCarron was probably the best quarterback he had until Tua. Yeah. And he just didn't, I mean, they just didn't throw the ball a ton and they didn't spread you out the way they do now. I think he would have been considerably better as a college quarterback and his numbers would have been considerably better if they were running the offense they're running today. But he's really the only guy in that time period where you felt that way. Cause I mean, Greg McElroy was okay, but I, I don't know. I, I just never was wowed by him throwing the football. Whereas like you could see with McCarron, there was there was still a lot there. They just weren't playing the style of offense that allowed him to to really show all that off. Coker was okay. I mean you know, and then Jalen Hurts, they won a title with Jalen Hurts as a freshman. Yeah. Um I, I think the interesting game this weekend though that could really just screw things up is if Clemson loses to Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh I I really hope that Clemson wins because, I mean, I at, at this point, like, I just want to see the three best teams and then see somebody besides Ohio State just out of principle. But, well, I don't know. I guess if Ohio State beats Northwestern and wins a Big Ten and they're 6-0, I, I guess that goes against everything that I bitched about for the last two weeks. <laughs> so I have to be okay with Ohio State getting in at this point. Do you want to hear my chaos scenario? Yes, please. I love chaos. All right. So here's the chaos scenario that I would I would just love to see how the committee would handle this if this were to happen. And and the only th- there are two obvious ends in this scenario, but it it muddies the water for for the other two slots. So that's why I'm going this way. Okay. So Notre Dame beats Clemson. Notre Dame's eleven and zero. They're an ACC champion. They're obviously in. Alabama loses to Florida. So Alabama's 10-1. and one. They're not a conference champion, but I think they get in anyway. So that puts Florida at 9-2, and two, but they are the SEC champion. You have 9-2 and two Clemson, but they are not a conference champion. Northwestern beats Ohio State, so you have a 5-1 and one Ohio State team that's not a champion, but you have a 7-1 and one Northwestern team that is a champion. A&M beats Tennessee. They're sitting at 8-1, and one, but not a champion. Cincinnati beats Tulsa, so they're 9-0, and oh, but they're a group of five champion. Oklahoma beats Iowa State, so you have an 8-2 and two Big 12 champion who's won seven in a row. And then USC beats Oregon, 6-0, Pac-12 champ. So I think, in that scenario, you have Notre Dame as the one seed at 11-0, and 
as and a champion. Alabama probably only drops to two, and they're in as a ten and one SEC team. But then, like, I I think Florida probably gets a spot at nine and two as the SEC champ. But I have no idea what they would do with the fourth spot because you have nine and two Clemson, you have five and one Ohio State, eight and one A and M, seven and one Northwestern as a Big Ten champ, eight and two Oklahoma as a Big Twelve champ. You still have undefeated Cincinnati. That would be crazy. I I I think it's Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida, Oklahoma in that scenario. I think that's the way I would lean as well, but because they're they're making it very clear that they don't they don't respect USC that much. I mean, they have USC right. at 13 right now. If if they really felt like there was a scenario where USC could get in, they probably would have them higher. Would USC I mean, at 6 and 0 jump like do do they jump any of those teams, you think? Maybe A&M. I think they jump Clemson. I think Clemson if Clemson loses to Notre Dame, I think Clemson's falling pretty far because at that point that you know they're not getting in, so why keep them up high and kind of like show that even as a two-loss team, you value Clemson more than a six and zero conference champion USC? Like you just, I feel like you for, for PR, you know, perspective and you know saving face, you have to have USC above Clemson. I think Clemson probably drops to like nine or ten in that scenario. USC is probably one above them or two above them, and then. I think I think Clemson would beat USC by twenty points. Oh, easily. Yeah, USC almost lost to UCLA, and I I know UCLA and Arizona is State this year. Yeah, you like UCLA's better. Arizona State's a little bit better, but I mean, my God, I mean, you, I, mean, I guess Arizona State did just get Kevin Sumlin fired, but I mean that's not really I, who who expected that to work out at Arizona. Yeah, not me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think uh, I think Oklahoma is the fourth team in that scenario because I would just be curious what they would do with Northwestern, maybe, because oh, Ohio State's out. I mean, if if you lose a game having only played six total, there's no way that you're going to get the benefit of the doubt there. So that eliminates Ohio State. I still think Oklahoma, as a conference champion on a seven game win streak, is going to jump A and M. Oklahoma is going to jump Cincinnati. We, we put Florida in even with the LSU loss if they are the SEC champion. 8-2 OU versus 7-1 Northwestern. Both conference champions. Northwestern beating the committee's number four team. Oklahoma beating the committee's number seven team or six team now. Um, that one to me is a little bit interesting, but again, Oklahoma has more wins. They've played more games, and the logo on the helmet, I think, still gives them the benefit and then if you're really having the conversation about like do you think what do you think would happen if Clemson played Oklahoma? Cuz I think Clemson would win. I still think Clemson's a better football team, but you would have two two lost teams. Oklahoma would have the benefit of being a conference champion. Clemson's only two losses would be to the committee's number 1 team in that scenario. So, I I don't know. I think they would say Clemson kind of had a playoff like I always argue this when you talk about the committee and the way that they do this, because I, th- I think we kind of look at certain criteria and say, like, why is this criteria not used in this instance? And and my answer to that, I think, in, is, like, they're not going to just use, like, one criteria, for instance, and apply that to all 10 of these teams we're talking about. But if, if they're able to kind of slot these teams, one through 10, 
and then in like the four spot they have a tie, that's where I think they start breaking down the criteria to break that tie. Does that make sense? As opposed to like saying like, well, strength of schedule, this team has a better strength of schedule than this team, so it matters in this instance. I don't think they're just using that from 1 to 10. I think they rank these teams from 1 to 10 on who they think is the best, and then when they're in a scenario where they have two teams that they view as really close, they start going through all of those individual items and and like basically, you know, giving like teams check marks. Yeah, I don't think that they're like going through. I don't think they're having like 12-hour long meetings trying to decide where to rank these teams. I, I think that it's just a lot of like, oh, Iowa State's looked pretty good lately. I think so too. Six? <laughs> Everybody from favor for six? I. But I, I look, I think that they're setting up Oklahoma to have a path in. And, that, and that's one of the, I guess, depending on your perspectives, luxuries or like negative things about the college football playoff is that the, it allows the committee to dictate teams' resumes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So they're absolutely setting Oklahoma up to have a good resume with a win over a top six team this weekend to slide into four if Ohio State or Clemson lose. Um, do you? Th- I, how much weight, though, do you put on Clemson's loss to Notre Dame not having Trevor Lawrence? Not Trevor Lawrence not playing in that game. Is that something that carries a lot of weight for you? Absolutely. Because, I mean, it's not like it, they got blown out. Like, it was a close game with, uh, I'm going to try it here, DJ Uyunglele. I think I think that's right. Uyunglele. Uyunglele, yeah. Starting at quarterback who, I mean, he was good. He's, he's going to be Trevor really Lawrence. good, but yeah, he's still very green. Yeah, he's not Trevor Lawrence. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence for that game. I think that Clemson wins Saturday. I think having Trevor Lawrence is going to be a huge difference maker. Right. And, you know, it's I mean, we all know it's tough to beat the same team two times in a year. So I like Clemson, which is probably best case scenario for the committee to have Clemson win that game because it doesn't complicate anything. Oh, yeah, it's easy. Very easy. So uh, as far as Clemson and Oklahoma playing, I think that Clemson probably does win. Um, I think that I, – I don't know if Spencer Rattler is mentally ready to play a team like Clemson yet. I think that we've talked about it before, like, you know, physically, like he's, he's a really good passer. He's really talented. Um, I, I just don't know if on that stage against that deep, against that team, that defense and that team, uh, that he could go mistake free. Cause you know, Trevor Lawrence is probably going mistake free. I agree. A year ago, I think that game would be a blowout, but I think the, the Oklahoma defensive line is good enough to at least prevent Clemson from just going up and down the field. Like, they're not going to stop Clemson by any means. I'm not trying to suggest that. But they're good enough that they're going to win some battles. It's not just going to be what LSU did to Oklahoma a year ago. And, and, you know, every time they put the ball in the air, Justin Jefferson's walking into the end zone. So I I still think Clemson would win. I I, I would probably guess Clemson wins by, I don't know, 10 points, maybe more, 13 points. Like, I, I think Clemson wins comfortably, but it's not the complete beating that LSU gave Oklahoma a year ago. And... You know, again, I, I think Oklahoma's still a year away from being back in that picture. Like, I, I expect that next year's the year they really make a jump. All that said, like, it's I think it's as simple as looking good against Iowa State and Notre Dame beating Clemson a second time or Northwestern beating Ohio State, and they're in. I think they just need one of those two things to happen. 
what what's your what's your dream scenario for the for the final four? Like everything plays out perfectly exactly how you want, and you get the four teams. And let's do matchups too. Like rank them. If I could dictate matchups, matchup. yes. I think I would probably go Alabama Clemson in one semifinal, Notre Dame Ohio State in the other semifinal. Who you got in those games? Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama and Ohio State with Alabama winning it all. Yeah. I, I, I before the season, I thought Ohio State was the most talented team in the country coming in, and and obviously I think Alabama has shown that they are the best team in college football. But like this is we kind of talked about this a week ago. Like I think Ohio State's one of the best four teams, but that's where this playoff thing is weird because it's you know how much of it should be who you think the best four teams are and how much of it should be what happens on the football field has to play a big part of that. Cause if that plays a big part of it, Ohio state has no business being in the conversation. Right. I, and I agree. Ohio state is first off. They have, I would you call Justin Fields the second best quarterback in the nation? Who? Okay. Yes. Okay. Behind Trevor Lawrence. Yes. Right? Trevor Lawrence okay. won Justin Fields too. I would say so too. I, w- I would be right there. And then Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. Yeah. And, behind them in the next tier. I agree about Ohio state. Like I want to see if I, if I'm just watching the four best teams, like I want to see Ohio state in there. I want to see Justin Fields in there out of principle though. And we talked about this last week out of principle, I need them to end a big, ten, them playing the big 10 championship game. It makes a big difference for me as far as the quote unquote principle goes, because it gets them a six game and a conference championship game. But I, I just I feel like it would have hurt really bad to see them go in at five and zero oh for me. Like it would have really irked me and been a, a big downer for me on the college yeah. football playoff system if Ohio State got in at five and zero oh with no conference championship. They were going to though. That was going to happen. Yeah. And, and in, yeah. like for this reason and this reason alone, like I think a lot of people around here that are Oklahoma fans were complaining about this, but Oklahoma benefits from the exact same thing that Ohio state is benefiting from in this same scenario. Like, do we really think that Cincinnati would play Alabama as well as Ohio state would? No. Do we think Cincinnati would play Alabama as well as Oklahoma would? No, no. Look, And I don't even think, and I'm, I'm at the point where, like, I don't even know that Oklahoma could keep the game against Alabama within 20 by the end of the Yeah, I think by, Alabama just is so good all over the field. A lot like Oklahoma's been in the past offensively where, right. yeah, I think that would be a it, problem. But if we feel like Oklahoma can't keep the game close against Alabama, what chance does Cincinnati Yeah, have? I think what Cincinnati would have. Yeah, that's my point. So, like, I know we, we complain about Ohio State not playing enough games and, and the committee, you know, saying, like, we think you're one of the best four. But like if if you and I, like if if our money was on the line and we had to pick a team, like who's going to play, if, if all of these teams were going to get their shot against Alabama, who was going to give Alabama the best game? Like is anybody seriously going to say that A&M or Cincinnati is going to give Alabama a better game than Ohio State? The answer is absolutely not. So like what do we really want out of this thing? That's my thing. What do we really want? Do we want the best four teams? Unless it doesn't include like our the team we root for or the team that we follow, like that's why that's why Oklahoma's been in the last few years because 
obviously, Oklahoma, with the offense they've had with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and even with Jalen Hurts, there was an expectation that at least Oklahoma could at least challenge one of the teams that was in the playoff. Now, nobody expected them to win, but at least with that offense, you thought maybe, you know, there was, maybe they could neutralize the other team and maybe they would put up a fight, but nobody else was going to put up a fight. Like, for the people that argued against Oklahoma the last few seasons, like, who else was going to play those teams any better? The answer is nobody. Let's see. Who else? Who were the other options last year? Georgia at five with two losses. Right. Uh, who had just lost to LSU. Oregon at six, which I don't think Oregon impressed anybody all season. I know they beat Utah in the Big 12 championship game, but Oregon had no chance. Baylor at seven. Yeah. 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 LSU, obviously we saw it play out last year. There was literally nobody in the nation that was going to beat LSU last year or even like slow that offense down in Iota. LSU made Clemson look average. Yeah. So like, that's yeah. my point is like, we, we all get so caught up in arguing for these number four seeds and, and look, I, I, I don't think Ohio State's on the same level as Alabama. I think Alabama's on a level of their own. And honestly, I don't think anybody is going to beat Alabama. Now, a month from now, we may be like talking about how stupid we were if Alabama gets beat. But like today, if, if we are going to put our money on the line, like nobody that's in that spot is going to win that matchup. But I do think that Ohio State would give the most resistance to Alabama in a semifinal game. Same thing for, for why Oklahoma has been in that matchup with, you know, Baker and Kyler and even Jalen Hurts. Because I think when you look at what you're really putting, the, the options you really have for that game, we've already, we watched A&M Alabama. That was a complete ass-kicking. Alabama just wore them out. We've seen it once this year. Like, it wasn't even close. A&M doesn't have a quarterback. That, A&M yeah. doesn't have a quarterback that could keep up with any of the teams in the top four. Right. Alabama, I think, would would absolutely annihilate Cincinnati. Alabama would absolutely annihilate Coastal Carolina. Like, we, we all, like, want to kind of, like, stand up for the little guy in this situation. And I, I, I totally get that. It's an unfair system, and, like, the group of five teams don't have an opportunity. But, like... Do you, are, do you realistically think that Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati could beat any of the teams ranked above them? I mean, there's the the one in a, you know, one in a million well, chance. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean like one in a million. Obviously, it's better than the odds are better than that. But yeah, I mean, if you if you lined up either one of those teams and played the teams that are ranked ahead of them ten times, like the other team's going to win the majority of those matchups. Right. I mean, that's the one thing about football is you never know on on you know the saying any given Sunday, but or any given Saturday, but. There's unless the system changes though. There's not. There's just not a a good way to Chloe, do it. I I feel comfortable saying that on any given Saturday, Cincinnati would have no chance of beating Alabama. Yes, that Coastal Carolina would have no chance of beating Oklahoma at the way right. that Oklahoma is playing right now. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear my dream scenario? All right, let's hear it. All right, this is. Complete anarchy, and this is me. This is long-term thinking for my dream scenario. So Alabama s- barely beats Florida. Notre Dame just dominates Clemson. So Notre Dame moves up to one. Alabama slides to two. Ohio State wins. 
Iowa State beats Oklahoma. Iowa State gets in at four and beats Notre Dame. And then Alabama or Clemson, whoever, destroys Iowa State in the national championship game. But I want this scenario to happen. This is my dream scenario because either one, it's going to open up the eyes to the committee and to the nation to having these uh, non-blue blood programs and being able to compete. And two, it might open up a scenario where the committee says, we cannot have that happen again. We cannot have an Iowa State playing for a national championship game. We need to expand the playoffs. And it, that way, yeah. if they do, they've beaten multiple teams by the time they got there. Yeah. And it's not just a one-game fluke where you know maybe they beat a Notre Dame by a field goal in a crazy, weird game. That's what's so crazy about this playoff is I think people argue these points more... I think more often than not, they argue points that are going to benefit their team versus what they actually believe. So, like, like they're going to argue against a certain thing because it may, like, that's the argument that's going to benefit their team potentially getting in. Does anybody, like, I've heard this for two weeks now, or, or even going back to the BYU situation in the very first ranking, like, how many people really want to see Coastal Carolina as one of these four teams? Does anybody, like, is anybody really interested in watching Alabama, Coastal Carolina play a football game? How many people can even tell you which Carolina that Coastal Carolina is in? I, I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know either. Like, I don't even know what state they yeah, play I, I, Why I don't do I want to watch them? North or South. In a playoff game. Yeah, I have no yeah. idea. But, like, like, when I gave you my dream scenario, the, that's because I think those that gives you the best opportunity at good games. Not not because I'm, I'm rooting for any of those teams. Like, I'm, I'm strictly looking at that as what is going to give us the best football games and potentially the most thrilling football games. Alabama, I think, beats Coastal Carolina by 30. Like, I, I just... If not more. Yeah. 30 if they take their foot off the gas. They pull Mac Jones at halftime yeah. and beat him by 30. I, I, I hate things- that, like, it's one of those things where I hate that the group of five doesn't have an opportunity. Like, it sucks that every year those teams go into a season... And, and I don't know whether head coaches actually believe that if they run the table, they're going to have a shot. I, I, you know, maybe, maybe they're telling their team, hey, if we just do everything right and we go undefeated, we're going to have a chance to be in the playoff. I think that's fiction. I don't think they have a, a real chance. Unless, like, everybody in college football has three losses. And even then, like, we're sitting here talking about Florida losing to LSU last week, having two losses, but still probably getting in if they win next week over anybody. The Big 12 champion still getting in. A one-loss A&M team who didn't even play in the SEC championship still getting in. Um, I You know, Ohio State losing to Northwestern would still probably be ranked ahead. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's just... How, it's how college football has always been, yeah. though. Because even, even, even in the BCS, like, really how close was Boise State to ever playing in a national championship game? Not close. Right. I mean, Same thing with that they like went, UFC, UCF, right? A few years yeah. ago. There, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what the system is. I'm sure back when the national championship was decided just by the AP poll and just by you know whoever the AP voted number one or however they worked it out, I'm sure that there were a group of five teams that were really good, that were you know undefeated, that played good football, that never had a chance to be number one at the end of the year. By the way, do you want to hear what the simulated BCS poll looks like? Yes. Yes, please. So if we had the BCS system right now, Alabama would still be number one. Notre Dame would still be number two. 
for as many people as there are that hate the Ohio State games played situation, the BCS doesn't give a damn about their games played. The BCS has Ohio State at number three. So BCS values the zero in the loss column way more than the, the games played column. So Ohio State is number three in the BCS poll. Clemson is number four. So it's, it's still the same final four, just with Ohio State and Clemson flip-flopped. And by the way, I don't know yeah. if I told you this a week ago, but um, I went back and looked at the simulated BCS results of every college football playoff. The BCS would have the exact same four teams in every year that the college football playoff has had this, those four teams. So now, I, I wonder if the BCS that would know that Ohio State only has one game left. Yeah, I don't know. I I would assume not because I assume that they don't you know calculate the remaining schedule out in their rankings. Right. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I would say more more often than not for the past seven years, however long the playoffs been around, they they've gotten it right most of the time. Yeah. Like, there's really no complaints as far as the four teams they put in year to year. And again, I think that a lot of people's complaints, though, and my complaint has always just been for this year is there has to be some like basic ground rules for getting a team in. Yeah. And Ohio State getting that Big Ten championship game, like I said, is that gives them an out. Like that gives them I can't I'm not gonna argue if Ohio State beats Northwestern and gets in as a Big Ten championship at six and because they are one of the top four teams. They have won a conference. And they essentially and, get a playoff game to to kind of prove it. Right. Yeah. So like that that shuts up my argument. My if if they didn't play, then I would be very upset about them getting it. Yeah. It's funny because like, and I'm guilty of this. I think for the most part, we all agree every year with the four teams, the committee gives us, but we all disagree with the logic they use to get there. Right. It's like the road that they take to give us, like they give us the same result that we want, but like the road that they take to get, there's a different road than we take. And, and I think that's what makes people most upset is like, it's like, well, your logic is stupid. Like you got the right answer, but, the logic you use to get the right answer is really stupid. It's almost like the committee would just benefit from not talking. <laughs> right. Like being a silent voting party and just like, these are our rankings. So deal with it. Like, we're not going to explain why, how we got here. We don't have to yeah. explain it to you. Just, just be like the, this is what the it's be. aggravated athlete that is just going to like answer a question the same way. So like Gary, Bar- Gary Barta's doing that press conference thing. And they're like, why do you have a Iowa state over Cincinnati? Next question. Iowa State's a better team. Like, that's all they have to say. Like, at the end of the day, that's really what they do say. Like, they just, you know, they they give a bunch of fluff around it, but, like, that's all they say. We just think they're a better team. Like, if if that's all they said, okay. But, like, they give... Sometimes I think they're just talking out of their ass, and they just give some stupid reasoning... Like well, what exactly you talked what, about with Brees Hall being the the nation's leading rusher, and the like, how does that have to do with them being number six? Right, right. Who cares? If that's the case, shouldn't Buffalo be in the conversation with Jarrett Patterson? Right. Well, it's two thousand. First off, it's twenty twenty. Nobody cares if you have a good running back. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. And like, it just yeah, like that the Coastal Carolina Iowa State comparison. Like he completely contradicted himself. If he would have just not said anything or just said right. like you said, Iowa State's a better team. We can't argue with that. But instead, he's like, well, one has two top 20 wins. Well, the other one also has two top 20 wins. Yeah. But Iowa State has two losses. Coastal Carolina barely beat Troy. Yeah. Like, it, you're just, it's, just don't talk. Because you're just, compl- you're obviously making it up on the spot. Yeah. They, it, and that's the other thing is, it's literally like a 10-minute availability where 
you're limited in in how you can explain this thing anyway. So like no explanation is actually going to be valid. Like that's it's just not enough time to actually be able to explain on a real level like why somebody is ranked ahead of somebody. You're getting the very like abbreviated version of like like if I'm making the arguments, I'm like that's like I can make an argument for everything that they do, but again, when you're in a in a short press setting where you're you're just giving short answers, like you can't really explain why anything is the way it is anyway. So like it, all, all you're doing is upsetting everybody by giving a brief without any sort of like context. I think you're giving like this brief statement on, on why one team is ranked ahead of another without like, again, giving context and, and yeah, it's just, it's funny to me every, every week, by the way, here, here's the rest of the BCS compared to the CFP. They both have a and at number five. The college football playoff has Cincinnati at nine. The BCS has Cincinnati at six. The BCS has Indiana at seven. The playoff has Indiana at 11. Uh, they both have Georgia at eight. The BCS has Iowa State at nine. Iowa State six in the playoff. Coastal Carolina's 10 in the BCS. They're 12 in the playoff. So they've got Coastal Carolina ahead of, of uh, Oklahoma in the BCS, by the way, for those that want to see the BCS system. Uh, Florida's 11 in the BCS, 7 in the playoff. USC is 12 in the BCS and 13 in the playoff. So USC also ahead of Oklahoma. The Sooners are number 13 in the BCS ranking and 10 in the playoff. Well, I, the difference between the two systems is that one favors the logo and the other one doesn't care about the logo. Yeah. So I think that I think Oklahoma at 13 in the BCS, or you know, they were 13, you said, right? I think that's probably a little low, but well, again, it's uh, like, what do we want? Do we do we want the better team? Because Oklahoma is the better team. Oklahoma is better right. than Coastal Carolina. Like, I have no Absolutely. problem saying Oklahoma would beat Coastal Carolina in a matchup. But are they more deserving? I mean, that's that's where we debate this thing. Like, how much do we really value a Group of Five schedule? Like, w- would Oklahoma be undefeated if they played the same schedule? Would Coastal Carolina only lose two games if they played Oklahoma's schedule? I, I mean, you would have to assume that if, if Oklahoma was playing in the Sun Belt or whatever conference Coastal Carolina is in, they, they would right. they, they would probably be 9-0 or 11-0 or whatever. Exactly, and and winning every game by like 50. Right. Maybe, maybe you know, everybody has bad days, so there's, there's a scare or two in there for sure. But so there's got to be a resolution here. I don't think that there ever. I don't think there will ever be a resolution because it's too big. It's too big, and nobody cares about. Nobody really. Let's be honest. Nobody cares about the group of five teams. We talk. I. I think I said this last week or a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, people go to these schools, but they're probably fans of like a blue blood. Yeah. Like, who's a like? Are kids at Coastal Carolina? Do they graduate and like? Are they diehard Coastal Carolina football fans or are they Coastal Carolina fans, but really they're like Clemson fans? Yeah. No, like no, no six-year-old is watching college football and being like, man, can't wait to watch Coastal Carolina this Saturday. I, I heard Ryan Rossillo and Danny Cannell having a conversation, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago about this playoff thing. And Cannell's all pissed off about like the group of five rankings and Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina and like that basically the group of five teams don't have this this chance, which... Like, I think we all kind of understand, but so he starts saying like, you know, these kids go to these schools and, you know, their coaches are telling them 
if you win every game and you do everything right, we could be in, in the playoff. Well, it, it was so amusing to me because, A, if a coach is selling you that, that coach is so full of shit. Like, Nobody's going to believe him. Right, come on. That's stupid. Come on. Is like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I find it absurd that like somebody at, I don't know, San Jose State is, is talking to his team before the season saying, hey, if we run the table, do everything right, we're going to get our shot at Alabama in the playoff. Like, come on. No, yeah. That's absurd. Okay. And secondly, well, if, you're, like, if you as a player are going to San Jose State because you're like, hey, if, I, if we win out, I'm going here because I'm going to get my playoff shot. If we win out, like, you also have your head up. Like, that's, it's just, it's, it's so improbable. Like, come on. Yeah, look, it's, it's not complicated. Like, the kids' mindsets when they're going to those power group of five schools is, one, they're going to those schools because that's where they're going to play immediately or get more playing time. Or they didn't get offers. Or they didn't get yeah. offers from a bigger school. Yeah. And I guarantee you the coaches are just saying, hey, our goal this year is to win a conference championship. We win our conference. That's our Super Bowl. Yeah. And then if, where things fall after that, they fall. But, yeah, no, no, no coach it. Like, I have a hard time thinking that even Matt Campbell at Iowa State, it, the goal, like, before the season was ever talking about playoffs. Sure, it was just win the it's win the Big Twelve. Yeah, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. Even the coaches at the big schools, like, yeah, they're talking about winning the conference before they're talking about getting to the playoffs. Maybe Nick Saban is saying, "Hey, let's get into the playoffs." Yeah, Nick Saban and Dabo. I mean, that you know, right? When you're there because, every you know, year, that's just the expectation. But yeah, right. Like it, it's absurd, and and there's just you're not, and and if you don't know that that's the the setup we're in, then you're just not paying attention. Like you're 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 not attached to reality because that's the reality of college football. A group of five teams don't have a chance. And, and again, I go back to what we just talked about. Like for the people right now that are Oklahoma fans that are like saying Ohio state shouldn't be there. Well, if Ohio state loses to Northwestern this week, I think Oklahoma's the next in line. But if you don't think Ohio state should be in that spot, then Oklahoma certainly shouldn't be in that spot with two losses because coastal Carolina and Cincinnati are, are, "Quote unquote," more deserving if we're going to do that whole thing. So, like, what do you want? Do you do you really want most deserving? Do you really want Here. group of five teams? Do you really think that Coastal Carolina is a better team than Oklahoma or a better team than Ohio State? Because the answer to that is no. And do you really think that Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati plays Alabama closer than Ohio State or Oklahoma? The answer to that is also no. Here's what we need to do. Let's just do this. So <laughs> let's do it for like two or three years. Let's expand the playoffs to 10 teams. One half of the bracket, it's all the Power 5 teams. The five conference winners, the top-ranked team out of the the five conference winners gets a bye. Let's go to the other side. It's group of five. Five conference winners from the group of five or five best group of five teams, however they want to break it up. They play it out, and then we get to the final game where the group of five team gets slaughtered by Alabama or Clemson. Or Ohio State. Yeah. And then we do that for like two years and realize, hey, this isn't working. These teams are not on the same level as these as these teams because that's just the way college football works. It's recruiting the top recruits outside of like a random Ed Oliver every 15 years is going to go to a Power 5 school. And they're just going to be significantly better every year. Yeah, they've got just, better. They're not on the same yeah. level. Like it's we all like we all understand that. But for some reason, like because they're all in the same I, I, like grouping, I guess. Like we want to give these other teams their opportunity. They're all FBS teams, quote right? Unquote. Right, but like I, I don't. 
I don't know. I, I, I would love to see all of those teams have something to play for because, like, I think it's stupid that they don't have something to play for. Because, again, like, the, the playoff is is not reality for a group of five teams, for the most part. Like, maybe there's there's a one, one in a million stars aligned perfect scenario for a team to slide in there, but I, I just don't... I don't see that being realistic from season to season. So, like, it sucks that there's not really, like, a, a, other than winning your conference, there's not, you know, I guess New Year's Day, Six Bowl or whatever that's called, is, is like, the, the best one, thing you can achieve. Chain. Yeah. But, like, that sucks. But do we really want one of those teams playing that schedule to get in over, like, a one-loss Oklahoma team or a one-loss... Ohio State team if they play a significantly better schedule because they're they're in a better conference. I, I okay. So what 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 do you think would work better in your mind? Adding a new division of college football where you have so right now it's like what it's FBS FCS and like D two D three all that stuff. Adding a division in between FBS and FCS where the group of five teams can just have their own division and then you have essentially just form super conferences or however you want to play it out with all the power five teams or just expanding the playoffs to the point where like the FCS, like obviously like there's teams in FCS that dominate every year. Like uh, North Dakota state is significantly better than a lot of programs in the FCS level, but you don't really hear the divide, I guess, or like there's not really the, the complaints that like the lower, tier FCF schools aren't getting the equal opportunity that like a North Dakota state is getting like I did this a couple years ago. Um, like I think in a perfect world, you create four super conferences and each of those conferences has 26 teams, two divisions with 13 teams in each division. So with a 13 team division, you're playing your entire division, 12 games and then you take the two division champs. They play for the conference championship, which is a 13th game like we have now. And then at the end of the day, you have four conference champions and those four play in a playoff. Like, I think that to me makes the most sense and you still include 104 teams in that scenario. Obviously, like you have to cut it off somewhere. So there are going to be 26 teams in the 130 current FBS teams that don't make that cut. But like, again... You don't have anything to play for now, at least in that scenario. You know, the Tulsas of the world, if you will, have a chance to legitimately win their division, play in a conference championship game, and then if you win that, you're in the playoff. Like, I, that, that's what I would love to see. Um, I, you know, again, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that would ever happen. In the current setup, I think the most realistic thing is to just create a group of five playoff. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, I, the best four group of five teams play in a playoff. Do you in that group scenario, of five championship? In that scenario, though, there's going to be people that argue that the winner of the group of five should play the group, the power five winner. Well, again, that's that's ridiculous. Oh, right. That, and that's I think that's probably the anti-argument, if you will. I know that's a stupid way to phrase that, but yeah. uh, the argument against like expanding the playoffs because it's not called like you can call it in basketball. Like a team like Butler, Gordon Hayward alone is enough to get them to the national championship. Like if the rest of the team is good and then they have a star player like Gordon Hayward, yeah. they can make a run. Right. In college football, like a team like Coastal Carolina might win one game, but they're not getting through Alabama, then Notre Dame, then Ohio State, then Oklahoma. 
yeah. than Florida. Like, it's just not going to happen. They can't, like, in football, there's too many players right. that play an important role and, like, too many players that, like, have to do stuff for you to be able to win consecutive games against, like, elite-level opponents. Like, like again, basketball, college basketball, a team like uh, LaSalle or, or, you know, George Mason, they can beat Duke one and like the they can beat Duke in the first round and then beat Kentucky in the Sweet 16 or something like that because yeah. it's basketball. It's a completely different sport. Like right. significantly less players. Like it's yeah, football. It's just not. I do not think it's feasible that a team, a Power Five team, can win like four games in a row against elite level opponents in the Power Five. Absolutely not. And and like again, it like it, it's funny because I always this it goes both ways. But it's so funny that I hear people like wanting these group of five teams to get their opportunities, but then like criticizing power five teams for their non-conference schedules. Like you're going to criticize a power five team for a non-conference schedule that's not any good, but the group of five team that like played 10 of those teams, you want to be in the playoff? Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma only played, Oklahoma played Missouri State. Coastal Carolina played Missouri State eight times. <laughs> right, yes. That's a good point. Right, like, so it's funny to me because, like, I hear the, like, I'll hear the same person make those contradicting statements, and I'm like, what do we, what do we really want? Like, because I think, for, like I said, for the most part, I think people argue in the moment for whatever is going to benefit their team in the current situation. And the situation's going to change year to year, and sometimes your argument's going to change, but I think for the most part, people argue for whatever side is going to benefit their team. But if you really, if you take that part of it out and you just want to have the conversation, like, what do we really want? And, and again, when you're, when you're trying to say that you want a coastal Carolina getting their opportunity in the playoff, but you're criticizing power five teams for not playing power five opponents in the non-conference, like, okay, well then you, you just prove the point. Look, there's only one way to solve this. It's 2020. Uh, We have to be inclusive at this point. Let's just let's do a let's do a playoff. Every level of college football, best team gets in. There you go. Power five, group five, FCS, yes. division three. Division yes. JUCO. Like everybody's in. Everybody gets a fair shot at winning the same championship and nothing changes. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are gonna be the national champions. Like they're playing the best teams that are still winning every year. So what <laughs> like what do we think's gonna happen when they like if they play lesser opponents? Yeah. Yeah. Amen, man. Amen. By the way, before I let you run, I got to bring this up. How bad does James Harden look? What the hell has he been doing? It's eating. Good He's Lord. Hitting up the uh, strip club buffet. I saw an amazing tweet earlier. Uh, it was They had posted, a, it was, they had a picture of James Harden warming up before the game yesterday. And uh, a picture next to it of James Harden being like really skinny. And uh, the caption was, James Harden. Treats his body like Christian Bell does before he's trying to win an Oscar. <laughs> James Harden has quarantine body, is what he has. Yeah, he's a. Uh, like I wouldn't put it past him to be like sitting at home and be like, man, I I want to like Houston has to trade me. Like I hate this place, and just being like, if I get really fat, they'll trade me. Right. And just like spite eating. Yeah. Just to get out of Houston. Yeah, I saw another one. Uh, somebody said that he looks like Kendrick Perkins with a wig. He's, I don't, man, I don't know. He's, just trade him, dude. Like, oh. if he doesn't want to be there, just trade him. Like, yeah. you're not going to get value, value back for what he's worth. Like, it's just not going to happen. Hey, but, 
next week, obviously, we'll, we'll talk playoffs because at that point, everything will be decided. But I've got, I heard an idea for the NBA and I kind of like have added my own thoughts to it, but completely restructuring the league. And basically this is in the, related to like James Harden and other guys like forcing their way out of situations. So uh, we'll hit that next week as well. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I've, uh, I think I've bitched about the college football playoff as much as I can because at next week at at that point, there's nothing to bitch about because we just have to accept it. Well, we'll still bitch, but yeah, it's it's done and done and yeah. Just not as much. Yeah, for sure. All right, my friend, always appreciate it. All right, man, see you later. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. If you order online and use the promo code ColbyShow, you get 15% off your order. So that's an awesome deal. Uh, They are great people doing great things for the community around them. But more than anything, they are dedicated to helping you live a better life. So uh, regardless of of what your issue is, look and see what they have. Educate yourself on what they have and how you can get benefits from their natural medicine products. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. Order online. 15% 15% off with the promo code Colby show. So uh, I, I'm really excited that we're able to uh, get you guys a little bit of a discount with these, uh, these great people at artisan botanicals in Midwest city. All right. We have a uh, championship Saturday coming up, Oklahoma, Iowa state, 11 AM kickoff, which means Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage beginning at nine o'clock in the morning. So Look for my tweet at Colby underscore Daniels. Uh, I will tweet that link at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, and we'll have pregame coverage for an hour leading you up to Oklahoma, Iowa State at 11. So, again, it should be a lot of fun. And and I think when you start to look at what Oklahoma could get out of this, not just the Big 12 championship, but maybe the path to a college football playoff spot, I don't think it's as, as crazy as maybe we thought it might be a couple weeks ago. So, big Saturday for the college football world. And I'm really looking forward to it. But we will see you guys at 9 a.m. on Saturday for that pregame show at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. All right, everybody, have a great day. Stay safe. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.